Nick Rundlet. I am so excited to have you here. Thank you so much for having me, Nikki. Pleasure to be here. Such a treat. You are the founder at Sovereign Mind and the creator of the Sovereign Mind Method. Indeed. We are going to talk all about not good enough, the sensation, how it happens, how to reverse it, right? Or how to shift out of it. Um, But first, I'd like to start with your story. How did you come to this work? Mm, All right. Well, I'll I'll try to be brief. But when I was growing up, my father was verbally and psychologically abusive to me and my mother pretty much constantly. And so I, I have a lot of sympathy and compassion for the man now. And we have a good relationship now as adults. But I internalized his ridiculously high standards of behavior and I would fall short of them continuously because they weren't, they weren't, um, realistic. And I internalized the story. I'm not good enough. I'm not enough. I'm not worthy. The reason why he's behaving this way is I don't deserve love. And that's how children like myself try to make sense of our reality around us when we're kids, we typically tend to internalize the the toxic environment and say like, all right, what can I do? This is my fault, obviously, because otherwise, why would this be happening? Right. So that was my experience growing up. And I'm I'm grateful in one sense, because it also internalized a, a belief system around like, well, what makes me good enough is obviously being successful and achieving things. So I became the high achiever, like the Enneagram three achiever personality archetype and went out in high school and did like forensic speech competitions and went out and, you know, started businesses and got into sales and was a top performer there. But no matter how many businesses I started and no matter how many big commission checks I received, I still had the internal sense that I wasn't good enough. And that lingered and it lingered and it lingered. And I came to this realization like 2021 that all right, like you've, you've built a six figure business before you've, you've gotten $10,000 commission paychecks. You've built out the sales organization for a software company by yourself from scratch and you still feel shitty. This problem isn't going to be solved by achieving things. Mm. There's no way to achieve myself out of unworthiness. So that's when I decided to take a hiatus And on my hiatus, I invested into all kinds of different personal and professional development programs like ayahuasca retreats. I just like sought the best tools that I could possibly find in order to try to address that inner not good enough unworthiness wound. And ultimately, I came across a team and I I made friends with someone who asked me questions that unseated that belief from my system. And it took about an hour. Wow. And I was like, (laughs) okay, those words actually literally no longer make sense to me now. How the did you do that? Right. So I got really curious. I only experienced a handful of those conversations, but I reverse engineered like, okay, so what is, what is actually happening? What is actually happening is that this person is unhooking my senses from this belief. And this ties into the sovereign mind method. The belief system of not good enough, what makes me good enough is being successful, what makes me good enough is having people like me, I don't deserve love, whatever the belief system is, they have sensory hooks into your body somatically beyond just your logical reasoning sense. 
Otherwise, you'd just be like, well, I know that I am good enough. Therefore, this is not a problem ever again. That didn't work for me. Right. <laughs> it didn't work for anyone I ever met in my life either. But when you realize that you never saw with your own two eyes that this was true, when you realize that you actually never felt not good enough, then it stops making sense. And so I feel like a lot of people are going to get confused by the, what, what do you mean I never felt not good enough? Of course I did. I have a really good piece of news that I'll share with you at some other point in this conversation. That's actually not the case. Go there now. Okay, great. Here's what actually literally happens for us when we're kids. I saw with my own two eyes, a man yelling at me. That was the raw sense data that reached my brain. Children love to ask the question, why? Yeah. Why is this happening? So we create a story to explain what we see and what we feel. So when I see my father yelling at me over bad grades or whatever, and I feel anxiety and shame and fear in my chest and in my stomach, I ask the question, why is this happening? And my brain fills in a story. I'm not good enough. So that, that those words, that language actually becomes entangled, coupled with that feeling. And so when you ask someone, what does not good enough feel like? They'll tell you emotions and sensations are happening at different places in their body. But if you look up the English definition of the words good and enough, it doesn't point to your body. That's not the same thing. You have emotions and sensations and words are words, but our brains literally think I felt not good enough. When you go back in the memory and you explore what that actually felt like, the only thing that you'll see are emotions and sensations. And when you ask someone, did you ever see that you're not good enough? They'll say, yeah, man. I mean, I saw, I saw my dad yell at me and that it's like, whoa, whoa, hold on. Is that actually the exact same thing as the meaning dangling around in three dimensional space that you're not good enough? Or did you see with your own two eyes, a man yelling? That's how you unhook the, the visual sense. The way that you unhook the emotional sense is you tap into the emotions and you ask yourself a simple question. Are these emotions the exact same thing as the words, not good enough? And many times, Nikki, when I'm working with clients, they'll say, yeah, yeah, that is the same thing. Because to them it is. It's, it's encoupled. It's entangled together. So then we break it down. It's like, all right, <laughs> humor me. Is that shame and tension in your throat and in your stomach the exact same thing as the letter G? And I go, no. Are you sure? I'm like, yeah. Okay, cool. Is it the same thing as the word good? And they finally go, oh, no. It's not the same thing as the word good. What about the words good enough? No. Oh, Huh. You can actually feel it in your brain when it's happening hmm. every time. So that's what I call sensory decoupling is when you look back and you ask yourself, what senses are tied to this belief? I think I saw it was true. Okay. What did you actually see? Oh, I didn't actually see that it was true. I saw people behaving. I saw events unfolding. That's not the same thing. Hmm. Did you feel it? Oh yeah, totally. I know that I felt I don't deserve love. I know that I felt uh, I am unworthy. It's like, okay, 
humor me. What did that actually feel like <laughs> in your body? Right? Yeah. yeah. It's the brain's design is to fill in the gaps. Yeah. So if we yeah. have missing pieces of information, mm-hmm. the brain will fill in that, that mm-hmm. gap. Yep. Right? Yep. The good news is, is it fills it in in very predictable ways. So a lot of people fall into the same types of belief systems depending on the types of difficulty they experienced in childhood. Right. Can you share some examples there? Totally. So some people grow up in an environment. You can use actually the Enneagram archetypes um, pretty usefully here. Some people grow up in in a family where like knowledge and, and education are like super highly valued. Yeah. And so if a child falls short in academia or like is perceived as not, not knowing enough, they'll internalize, I don't know enough. Mm-hmm. And that will really, really resonate for them. And that'll really, really hurt for them because that's the value system that they grew up in. Other people, that's not it at all. They grew up in a creative family of artists and musicians. And if they struggle with creativity at all, or there's a comparison game from one of their parents or their siblings, it's I'm not creative enough. A lot of people, it's I'm not smart enough, right? So depending on the environment in which you grew up, you'll take on a different core wound. It's left brain, right brain family. Yeah. (laughs) That's that's (laughs) one of many, many dichotomies. (laughs) Yeah. Right. And then, okay, so we take on this core wound. We decide... We decide, which is an important point. Mm-hmm. We decide we're not good enough. Mm-hmm. And then I understand the brain then seeks to validate that belief. Mm-hmm. Okay, so then you go through life seeking how could this be true? And there's plenty of evidence that you could find that you're somehow not good enough. Well, not only that, but you know how affirmations work, right? They, they always say you want to say the words out loud and visualize it happening and then feel it in your body. That's how, that's like how you build an effective affirmation practice is when you combine the words, the spoken words with your sense of vision and your emotions. And so not only when we're kids, are we unconsciously seeking information that validates our belief systems, but we're also repeating the same emotional experience every time dad yells at me. I'm feeling the same way. And that affirmation of not good enough is getting charged with that emotion. And that happens hundreds and thousands of times to the point where as an adult, 25 years later, after they've gone through all the personal growth development work, 10 years of therapy and stuff, if they say, I'm not good enough, it still feels like shit in their body. They can access that feeling. Yeah. Yeah. It's reinforced over and over and over until it's just, it's automatic. Right. I listened to a video by Dr. Dane. I don't know if you know him. He um, produced, founder of Access Consciousness. Hmm. And he said, it's our need to be right that hmm. actually creates the suffering. The, the I was hurt. Mm-hmm. Right. I was hurt. And in that scenario, I was right. I was hurt. I was Mm. somehow um, offended. I was damaged. I was yelled at and I was right. And, and by attaching to that sensation of being and needing to be right, that you then, you, you, you keep yourself in a state of suffering. Yeah. I, I like the language of 
kids are just trying to make sense of their reality. And that, that desire to be right creates a sense of comfort because mm. I know what's happening. I was really actually literally thoroughly convinced, Nikki, that my dad didn't love me. Wow. That is how I made sense of my experience. And I thought, okay, I can look at the data of how he treated me and I can look at the data of what I read healthy love looks like in books and how I see healthy love unfolding in other people's relationships. And I can see that this man's behavior towards me is often the opposite of that. So I drew the conclusion. It gave me a tremendous sense of comfort in my late teenage years to be, quote, right, that my father didn't love me. Through evolution, through realizing greater compassion that like this man actually was mentally ill and suffered from a ton of unprocessed trauma. I can come to an understanding now as an adult and I believe him when he says, Nick, I always loved you. It just came through this toxic filter of all of his repressed emotions, of all of his anxiety, of all of his insecurity, narcissism. But I can still acknowledge I don't need to be right about him not loving me anymore. Wow. Yeah. How valuable is that when you let go of that story? It, I think it foundationally improved my self-worth. Mm. Yeah. You tapped on something very important. It's how do you have compassion for your oppressor? Hmm. Let me sit on that. You know, because, well, you just said it, essentially. Like, everyone's got these un, uh, suppressed. they've got suppressed emotions and wounds that they haven't dealt with, right? And that's right. what's really coming out. When someone's yelling, when someone's angry, it's really just an expression of their own pain, right? Hurt people, hurt people. Yes, yes. Can you just speak to that concept a little bit? Yeah, that makes perfect sense to me. I think that... Um, it's important to come to an understanding that most people, most of the time are driven to behave by emotions. Most people aren't operating from like a, a purely logical decision-making tree of outcomes and then just choosing the most <laughs> rational behavior in the moment. <laughs> nope. So then if someone is behaving in a really toxic way, one compassionate question to ask might be, gosh, What's going on for them right now? What are, how are they feeling right now? Probably not great. Like when, when a man is drunk on his porch, screaming at his daughter, you blah, 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 blah. He's probably not having a good time. He's probably suffering quite a bit. And that little girl is obviously the innocent one. We have compassion for the little girl. But we can, if we choose to, cultivate a sense of compassion for the drunken man who's in such a dilapidated state mentally, emotionally, that he's choosing to behave this way. That takes a wise soul. It does. Or wise counsel. Yeah. I, you know, when is it acceptable? I mean, it's never really acceptable, right? Mm. Versus... You know, bringing compassion towards someone that's doing something harmful to you is not easy. Well, here's what's true. It's a choice. You I can, shouldn't say that. It, it, right? that. <laughs> yeah, so it's not easy or hard. It's just a choice. 
when we say, oh, it takes wisdom to look at it this way, it's like, well, could it be possible that it takes self-interest? Mm, here's, here's what I mean. You're, the events that you experience in your life, you actually literally can attribute any meaning to that you want. Right. The meaning doesn't exist intrinsically in three-dimensional space. Yeah. You create it. So if you want to operate for your entire life with the story, my father was a piece of shit and I was abused and I am a victim, that will be your reality until you die. And all of the toxicity will be just lovely stored in your body and all the stress and all the, the guilt and the resentment. You get to feel it all the time. If that's what you choose. Woohoo. <laughs> Sounds fun. <laughs> or, right, here's where the self-interest part comes in. Yeah. Or you can choose to cultivate a different sense of what you experienced when you were growing up. And if you choose to cultivate a different sense, maybe you'll suffer a whole lot less. Yeah. 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 Thank you. You've just brought up an interesting point. Like when I look at my childhood, I was lucky. I never got beaten. I got mm. to go to private schools. I was mm. taken care of. I always had organic food. And like my mm. mother couldn't have loved me more. Mm-hmm. And yet I have spent a lot of my time and my years thinking about how the parts that she did wrong, mm. where she was expressing her wounds. Mm. She was the last of eight children out of a Holocaust survivor. So talk about pain inflicted and passed down. And, but how much of my energy do I spend on all the loving bits versus the, the bits that were challenging? That's part of the human condition. I think, I think there's like a negativity bias that is rooted in, uh, survival because, it's it's actually a lot more important to your survival that you notice the bear approaching <laughs> than you notice how pretty the flowers are, <laughs> right. right? Yeah. So I think you can have some self-compassion there, right? Like it's it's totally understandable. It's how our brains are wired. But the I think the important thing is is like what's the what's the grand narrative for you? Is the grand narrative truly that first piece of I had a pretty good childhood? My mom did the best that she could. My mom loved me more than anything. If that's really what's true for you, I think your nervous system will be pretty calm overall. Yeah, love it. How do you create urgency to let go of this sensation now? Like people, this concept of wanting to be right and, and wanting to hold on to, I was, there was injustice, I was wronged. Share the value of just letting go of that story now. I mean, the, I think that's kind of all almost self-explanatory, but is there anything <laughs> anywhere you can go there? Absolutely. The question becomes, how is this old story showing up in your life right now? Where is it causing you stress? Where is it causing you pain? How is it impacting your relationships? Here's another question. How is this story of your victimhood impacting your relationship to yourself and your self-esteem. How are you fucking yourself over by continuing to hold on to this old sense of I need to be right, or I'm not good enough, or I should be doing more. How is this screwing you over? The next question becomes, would you like to continue being that way? Or would you like to evolve beyond that? 
And if you don't know how to evolve beyond that, I would love to help you because mm. I can teach you some real fast tools to let go of that forever. Yeah. Agreed. I would add to that. How are you not being of service and creating an impact because you're holding yourself back because you have a sense that no matter what you do won't be good enough or you'll fail mm. or you're actually doing a disservice to the world <laughs> for by keeping your gifts to yourself because you're too busy worrying about how you'll look and rejection and, and fear of failure. That's super true. And like, if, if someone listening to this isn't even at the point, like they're, they're really like trapped down and, and in this like small contained energy and it's not even like a focus for them. Oh, my gifts in the world. I'm just trying to get by. I want you to know that if you clear those, that old nonsense, your gifts emerge and you can actually really viscerally connect to your gifts and you can actually show up in a way where you can make eye contact with other people without feeling guarded, without feeling defensive, feeling present and feeling emotionally connected to them. And that's something that I was seeking in my experience that I could not viscerally feel when I had stuff like don't deserve love, not good enough, unworthy, what I need people to like me. I need people to believe me. All of these old toxic senses in my system when they're cleared, it's like, oh, I'm actually free to be myself. And I think that's what we're all seeking. You're tapped on a few concepts that I love. First, the the perception. Mm -hmm. So what the inner dialogue you have will then create the perception of what you see, uh, right? The filter. Mm -hmm. And also what you attract. Yes. So you, you, we, we forget that we're an emanating being with frequency, right? We're, we're sending out vibration mm. of I'm not good enough, I'm not worthy. Mm -hmm. And then we're so surprised when someone looks at us and looks away because you're unworthy. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, you know, you get the feedback of your vibration. Totally, totally. And that, that definitely emanates from within out into the world and people people can see it which can cause a downward shame spiral, which is like, oh, now, now my life is validating this over and over again, which is why it's really important to cut straight past all the BS and get to the core of the problem and clear it out because yeah. folks, it really ain't got to be that way. Yeah. Uh, my coach, Christopher Gill, hello, my love, uh, shared with me, um, that one of his favorite ways to shift and evoke accuracy in perspective is to focus on what is working. I love your technique, and this is another one, um, to focus on what is working in your life because that's what gives you the juice. And then like when you're, when you're doing things that are working, that's when I, he says, I'm taking action, I'm, and then I magnify it. Here's what I love about that is that we make sense of our reality through our senses and our emotions. And one way to, to help yourself is to clear old stuff that doesn't serve you. But what I love about that is you're actually welcoming in the feeling and the sensation of things are okay. Yeah. Things are going actually pretty great. And you feel that pleasure in your body and it's training your nervous system to acknowledge like, oh, this is a safe harbor for me. Things being all right, things going well. Not only does it feel good, it feels safe. I feel like that's extremely important. Yeah. And then it magnifies. Yeah. Cool, huh? Mm -hmm. We're cooler than we realize. 
<laughs> yeah, and more powerful. <laughs> yeah, more powerful. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Truly. It's true. Speak to that a little bit, the frequency that you send out. Well, what what's are your int- thoughts? What's interesting is like the, the frequency that you send out is often unconscious and unintentional until you choose to wield it intentionally. When you choose to wield it intentionally, it strengthens, it amplifies. If you focus your attention and your energy on yourself and who you are as a being and you seek to improve the love, the compassion, the gratitude, the generosity, whatever, whatever that positive trait that you're seeking to cultivate in this chapter of your life, if you expand that, that becomes your reality. You emanate that viscerally and people can feel that from you and people get attracted to those really good feelings that you personally feel inside of your body. Yeah. (laughs) Which is awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I experience that all the time. People want to be in my light. Mm -hmm. They're like, they love to be around me because I have this natural sense of love and joy and happiness and Mm -hmm. nurturing and it's just like... It's yummy in my space, you know? <laughs> I like that. That's a quote. It's yummy in my space. That should be a t-shirt. Oh, I like that. Yeah. Yay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what else would you like to share? I just want to share that there's hope. You know, I'm, I'm one guy. I'm developing a mental technology that for the dozens of people that I've facilitated this with is a definitive cure for limiting beliefs. I don't know what else is out there, but what I do have a lot of hope and faith in is that there are dozens of people like me who are developing things even better than what I've got that synergize, that solve every single problem in the human condition. My genuine sense is that in this century, we're going to perfect how to heal people from virtually any type of trauma in the human experience. And I think that the solutions to all of these problems are actually going to be really simple and they're going to be accessible to everyone. That's my sense. Wow. That's hopeful. I like it. I mean, healing ancestral trauma, right? Because we all have Mm. it passed down. Mm. It's taken me decades. I mean, literally decades of work. And I've done everything from workshops and retreats around the world to, like you said, plant medicine, ayahuasca. And mm-hmm. I have, like during my last uh, psilocybin journey, I literally watched the pain pour out of my heart, yeah. like a pitcher of water yeah. pouring out. Beautiful. Um, that I absorbed from my mom and from her, from, the, from that um, history mm-hmm. and this ancestry. It would be fascinating if we could just reverse engineer this mm-hmm. much more rapidly. Well, I think so. I think that everything that happens in the universe is measurable. So when you're having a sensation, a visceral experience of pain, energy emanating from a specific physical place in your body, yeah, I think that's measurable. And I think that if humans were conscious and intentional enough, we could have a team of scientists who are like super into psychedelics and consciousness, study these things happening, like with all kinds of different sensors and stuff and reverse engineer. It's like, oh, interesting. A a new type of energy that's at this particular frequency is like radiating from her heart. What are the, oh, let's look at in, in the MRI, like, oh, these cells, these like neurons inside of her heart are being activated at a certain frequency. Oh, okay. What happens 
if we try to stimulate that for people? Oh, like everything that's, that's happening can be reverse engineered. That's my sense. But isn't this part of the human journey? Isn't this mm-hmm. part of why we're here is to kind of experience the human condition and then overcome it? And, and uh, are we robbing ourselves of part of the the human experience or are we bypassing the nonsense and just getting to where we can be brilliant? I like the latter framework <laughs> more than the former because yeah. Yeah. we actually don't know what's possible in the world when everyone is cool and mostly healed. True. I find it fascinating that it's the human condition to be knocked down in order to get brought back up stronger. Like even just physically from like exercising, right? We're, we're kind of shredding our muscles. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Mm-hmm. tearing them essentially to make them stronger. And I find it to be the same with the human, like the look at Tony Robbins, Oprah, like a lot of these high figures have had terrible starts. Yes. And that made them stronger. What I like about the metaphor that you gave though, is that exercise is conscious, intentionally placing your own body under stress. So my sense is that, we can raise a generation of children who intentionally cultivate strength and persistence through intentionally experiencing adversity. You choose to go through difficult experiences, not trauma that's inflicted upon you without your consent as an innocent child, but I don't know, some kind of, you know, camp experience where they do difficult stuff, right? Like, like there, there, are, there are ways to become as strong as Tony Robbins without having your mom slam your head in the door and scream at you. Hmm. If you choose to cultivate that healthily, intentionally, that, that would be my hope for humanity is that we can, we can choose to experience adversity and we can choose to build resilience. And I think that if people understood, we grew up in a really healthy culture, it was understood that, yeah, that actually is valuable. That's, that's worthwhile. You should like go work out. <laughs> you should do things that make, that are difficult, that make you uncomfortable. So you can be a gritty, resilient person. Um, I think that would be healthy. Yeah. It just reminded me of a, an old friend that had, uh, went to war and he mm. says, once you go to combat, you come back, nothing is difficult. Mm. Nothing in your daily life is really difficult. Mm-hmm. It's almost like you have to be, well, in his case, seeing that level of intensity and destruction made life easier. Mm. Interesting concept. Like, Wow. Yeah, I wonder how many people walk around with a sense that things need to be difficult. Hmm. Well, I mean, we have that perspective on work, right? Working has to be hard. You have to work hard. Yeah. We talked about this the other day. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) That's so true. (laughs) How do you decouple from that? Uh, Well, (laughs) since you asked. (laughs) Here's here's the method itself distilled, right? I wish I would share this at the very beginning. The method itself distilled is find out what language actually makes sense to you. Is it work is hard? Work is difficult. I need to work hard to be successful or some of these older like toxic senses of I'm not good enough. You figure out what language makes the most sense in your body. And you do that by saying it out loud and noticing, does this seem true 
or does it cause nasty feelings? You benchmark that against I'm a baked potato. <laughs> I'm a baked potato is what I call nonsense. Right. And we tend to laugh at nonsense, right? So that's your benchmark. And if you test work, work is hard, work is difficult, work sucks, and it makes sense when you say it out loud, it's like, okay, cool, let's clear it. The first question is, where'd you learn that? Did you learn that when you were studying for a math test in like grade three? That's where mine came from. Studying for a math test, I'm crying on my desk and I'm like, this sucks, I hate this, work is hard, bleh. It also came from remembering doing like pointless chores around the house while my dad is screaming at me. I go, oh, this is hard. Then the question becomes, could there be other possibilities for you besides work is hard? Like if you look back at those memories, could it be that studying for that one test is hard instead of work is hard? Could it be that my dad screaming at me was unpleasant instead of work is hard? As long as there are multiple possibilities for you, that unhooks the logical sense. Moving forward, could it be possible that work is easy if you're doing the right kind of work that you actually enjoy, cool. Now there's a possibility, a new possibility for you moving forward as well. Then, did you ever see work is hard with your own two eyes? Yeah. Or did you see a textbook in front of you with like teardrops on it? That's what I saw with my own two eyes. And I saw my father yelling at me while I'm doing dishes, but that's not the same thing as work is hard. Then I asked myself, did I feel work is hard? And it's like, yeah, I felt it. Okay, what did that feel like? I'd love to know. I felt stress and, and anger in my chest. Okay, question, not a trick question. Is that the same thing as work is hard? And the answer is no. I didn't feel work is hard. I felt stress and I felt tension in my chest. So that's how you clear a belief. That's how you clear work is hard. And once you uncouple the logic, the images, the emotions, L-I-E, the lies that are keeping that sense tied down to your system, that old belief system of work is hard, that old BS stops making sense to you. I love it. Yeah, because really there's no concept of I'm working hard, especially if you're not doing physical labor, yeah. um, right? It, it's just, no, it requires you to be persistent and right. and stay focused. Like that's not hard. It's a choice you have to make. You're choosing to. <laughs> that's another so, great frame. Is like work is a choice. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Wow, we've taken away our own choice, our own sovereign mind. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's right? what beliefs ultimately do. They operate as twenty four seven background programs. Beliefs create compulsion. Beliefs create procrastination and avoidance. They create compulsion and repetition. And they take away choice. If there's a nagging sense that if I'm, if, I, uh, if I'm not working, it means I'm lazy and I should be doing more and I need to work hard to be successful, and you go on vacation, guess what? You're going to pull out your laptop and you're going to work. You don't have a choice because you believe those things somewhere deep down. If you clear that out of your system, none of that shit makes any sense to you. You're just on vacation. You get to actually enjoy your vacation. And working becomes a choice. That's why it's called the sovereign mind method, because it allows you to gain greater access to that free will, to that autonomy, to that sovereignty over your mind. Beautiful. Beautiful. Beliefs create compulsion. Yeah. Powerful. Yeah. 
Any final thoughts, Nick? This is an awesome conversation. It's been so much fun. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I could talk to you for hours. <laughs> yeah, same. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Nikki. Ah, what a blessing. Thank you for sharing all your wisdom. Mm, my pleasure. Yeah, really a treat. Thank you. Thanks, you guys, for tuning in. We'll see you next time. That was so fun. Please subscribe if you enjoyed that too and leave me a review on Apple iTunes so I can move up into the new and noteworthy section. Ignore the fact that it still has my old Nikki-tastic cover page. Apple does not seem to respond. Weird. <laughs> also, I am starting a mastermind I'm super excited about. It. I'm bringing together some amazing powerhouse people to step into their absolute fullest, highest potential and make a big impact. So if that's you, if you feel like you need some clarity, you have potential, you just need a little clarity, maybe some accountability and guidance and the support of an amazing group of people, that is definitely something to consider. Please reach out to me. I am uh, taking applications now to make sure that you're the right fit for this program. And you will also learn how to use your body to make decisions and how you can use this vessel to attract what you want and tune in, tap on how to use literally your, the senses in your body and your body's natural attracting abilities to create and manifest exactly what you want and then we'll also expand on your vision and make it bigger and better and brighter than you could possibly fathom and then create the team to help you get there so really powerful mastermind coming up soon so reach out to me if that's of interest and also reach out if you're interested in one-on-one coaching i'm here to serve and help you grow to like i mentioned that your absolute highest potential and you're here for a reason and there's probably some limiting beliefs or something holding you back and we'll uncover those get rid of those quiet them at the very least and so that you can really make the impact that you're here to make super exciting so i uh, am so grateful that you listened all the way and i really appreciate you please also contact me with feedback i am here in service of you so if there's any topics you'd like to learn more about if you have any questions or concerns please 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 reach out to me directly i am here and growing with you on this journey all right thank you so much you guys i love you